I have a question for you as we get started this morning with a message, and the question is this, how many of you would like to learn how to cook really, really well? Or maybe, um, you know, you shouldn't even call it being a cook. You want to be a chef. I mean, you want to just be outstanding. So here's the question. If you needed a cooking coach and uh, you could afford anybody, who would you choose? First service, I said you might choose some people in our church family because we got some great cooks here. But um, maybe this person comes to mind when you think about a cooking coach. Does anybody know who that is? Yes, and he's a, a TV personality. And you know what's amazing is that he has one word, and this one word will transform your cooking. Whatever it is, it'll come out just perfectly if you say this one word. Can you say it? Yeah, that's it. It's like this magical cooking word. Or maybe you'd like to uh, have this person as your coach. Does anybody know who that is? Rachel Ray, she's written cookbooks and hosted multiple cooking shows on the Food Network. How about this? Let's say you really want to sing. You want to be a great vocalist. Now, again, there are a lot of people that you could ask, depending on what style or, you know, how old you are, who your idols might be. But this is one lady that came to mind, Gladys Knight, the Empress of Soul. Did anybody hear her rendition of the national anthem at the Super Bowl? It was outstanding. Or you might think of this person, Bono. From you too. This guy has won, and I had to look this up, 22 Grammys. An incredible vocalist. And you know, we could go on and on about different things that we might want to learn to do well. But what if this is your goal? To learn how to love people well. I mean, who would you want to be your coach? Who could teach you to love people better than anybody else? And we should all know the answer to this. It's Jesus. Exactly. So as we continue this 40 days of love adventure... This morning, we're going to consider a statement by Jesus, actually it's a command of Jesus, that if followed, will dramatically change our relationships with each other. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples just before he went to the cross. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now, when we read those words, there are two questions that come to mind. The first is this, well, Jesus, why is this a new commandment? You know, think about being there that night when Jesus says this to his disciples. I mean, they knew the Old Testament scriptures that, hey, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So, Jesus, why is this a new commandment? And one of the reasons is because this commandment is focusing on those who have decided to follow Jesus. This is a commandment given to Christians that applies to their relationships with other Christians, to people within their church family, and even to Christians around the world. And I want you to see this. Why is this command new? This is on your outline. It's because Jesus had given his followers a new living demonstration of what it means to love. Instead of obeying a list of rules, you need to follow a living example. In fact, in this chapter of, of John's biography of Jesus, this is in chapter 13, there's a story about Jesus washing the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. And he says, look, I've done this for you as an example of how you're supposed to serve each other and love each other. And church, this is really important. Jesus is certainly our model for what it means to love each other, right? But he's more than a model. He's the source of the love that we need to love each other because the reality is this, and again, this is a really important statement on your outline this morning. If you're going to love the way Jesus loved, you need the power that only Jesus can give. If you're going to love the way Jesus loved, you need the power that only Jesus can give. 
you know, I, I think about what Jesus says. Okay, love other followers of Jesus. And my first reaction is, okay, well, you know, um, I actually like a lot of the people that are in my church family. Um, that's not all that hard, so I'm, I'm going to do this the best I can. Jesus, how's that? And then you realize, well, wait a minute, that's not what he said. He, he uses these two words that change everything. As I. Love one another as I have loved you. And it's like asking us to, to jump across the Grand Canyon. It's impossible. And Jesus knows that, and we know that, but here's what's so important. When Jesus gives us a command, he's also willing to give us the power to carry out the command. And we've got to depend on him and trust him to do that. And so, in the next few minutes, I'd like to paint a picture of what it looks like if we actually take these words of Jesus and put them into practice. But let me just, let me just do a little quick time out here. Because I want to say this. I realize every Sunday morning that um, we're in different places in our spiritual journey. And some of you have made a decision to follow Jesus. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. Uh, some of you may be here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Christ. And you could be somebody who's checking out Christianity, you're curious, maybe this morning you're skeptical. Uh, maybe you're not even sure there's a God who made you and loves you and you're trying to figure all of that out. I'm so glad you're here. Because I hope this morning that this message will paint a picture of the life that, that God calls us to live. And it's a life of knowing that God made you and that God loves you and that he has a family where you can be loved no matter what. So I hope you'll get a clear picture of what that looks like. And again, back to our, our main question this morning, if we're gonna love others the way that Jesus loves us, what do we need to do? What does that look like? And here's the first thing I want you to see. You must pursue relationships with others in the same way that Jesus pursued a relationship with you. In the same way that Jesus pursued a relationship with you. You know, one time Jesus said this to his disciples, um, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And Jesus still does that. He chooses people. He pursues people. He, if you're a Christian this morning, it's because Jesus pursued a relationship with you. Now, why would he do that? It's simple. He loves you. And if you're going to love other people the way that Jesus has loved you, that means that you have to be willing to pursue a relationship with other people. Now look at this verse. This was written by, by John, one of the original disciples. In fact, he was Jesus' closest friend. And he said this, if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have, and what's that next word? Fellowship. That's got a real churchy word, isn't it? Yeah, fellowship with each other. But that word, even though it's usually used in church circles, is such an important word to understand because fellowship is when you um, have an intentional um, connection with other people in your church family. You pursue relationships, and of course that takes what? Four-letter word starts with a T, ends with an E. Takes, takes time, takes time. Now, I'm so encouraged because I was looking at the sign-ups for the 40 Days of Love Small Groups. There's a ton of people that are connecting with each other in these groups, and that's exactly what this is talking about, pursuing a relationship where you can share your life with somebody else. Now. Here's the thing, if you're not in a small group, it's not too late. You can still dive in and join one of those groups. But church, realize this. I mean, I love these 40-day adventures, and we often try to just get as many people connected as we can. But you don't have to wait for a church program. Really, on a Sunday morning, um, be on the lookout for the people that are sitting around you. You know, before the service, after the service, you can, you can talk to each other. 
You have my permission. Now, seriously, try to get to know people here in your church family. And as you get to know people, you often think, man, I like that person. I would enjoy spending time with that person. Well, then do this. Ask them to spend time with you. You know, go to lunch, go to a game, um, go someplace where you can talk. And as you talk, as a relationship develops, I encourage you to do this. And I know that this is a risk. Share your life with another person in your church family. Talk about your story. Talk about your joys and your fears and your sorrows and your hopes and your dreams because that's what it means to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. And let me say this as well. This idea of following Jesus is not just about Jesus and me. Okay, Lord, it's you and me against the world. We can do this. It's not just Jesus and me. Christianity is Jesus and we. It's being part of a church family. And again, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I hope you'll understand that God's purpose and God's plan for your life is not just following Jesus. It's being connected to a family of people that will care about you and love you no matter what. That's what God wants for you. And as a pastor, um, that's what I want for you. And I, I'll speak for our church family. That's what our church family wants for you as well. And so think about it. This week, who could I pursue a relationship with? Now, here's another way to love others the way that Jesus loves you. Number two, you must accept others in the same way that Jesus accepts you. The same way that Jesus accepts you. And the Bible could not be more clear about this. Look at this verse from Romans 15. It says this, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Now, the need to be accepted is a really powerful force in our lives. And this is, I think, particularly true when you're a teenager. I'm glad that our, our students are here in the service with us this morning because I know that, you know, so often there's this tension in our lives. There is the, the deep need to be accepted and the deep fear of being rejected. Isn't that true? Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, all right? How many of you have ever made a questionable choice because you heard these three words. I dare you. I'll raise my hand. <laughs> now, why do we do that? Well, here's why. Because we're afraid of being rejected and we want to be accepted. And if you think about it, as you look over the course of your life, some of the deepest wounds, deepest pains we have are because of rejection. I know some of you this morning have been rejected by a close friend. And that really hurt really hurt. And some of you have been rejected by a spouse and you've gone through the sting of divorce and that's a wound that you still have. And for some of you parents, you have adult children and they've turned their back on you and that rejection is so very difficult to walk through. And when we're dealing with the pain of rejection and wondering, you know, God, why is this happening? God, there's something wrong with me? It's so important to realize that, you know what, despite your faults, because we all have them, and your flaws and your failures, God still loves you. In fact, God loves you just the way you are. Billy Joel didn't come up with that idea. God loves you just the way you are. But here's the thing. God's love doesn't just leave you where you are. It takes you to where he wants you to be. God's love transforms us into the person he made us to be. And listen, when you become a Christian, no matter what's going on, you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, because of Jesus, because I've decided to follow Jesus, I can be confident that I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, and totally accepted. 
That's who you are because of Jesus' love for you. So let me say this as well when it comes to this idea of acceptance, and this is just in a more general sense. Um, You can accept somebody without believing everything they believe. Do you realize that? I mean, you look at, at how politics and religion divide. When I was a firefighter, there were two things, and this was actually in the standard operating um, procedures manual, two things you couldn't discuss in the fire station. Guess what they were? Religion and politics. Guess what the only two subjects discussed were? <laughs> yeah, religion and politics. But here's the thing. You can accept somebody as a person without believing everything they believe. And you can accept somebody as a person even though you don't approve of the way they're living their life. Why? Because every person is a precious human being made in the image of God. And that's really important. So listen, this morning, once again, I wanted to make this practical so there's like a line. Every point, there's, so, okay, who is that? Okay, who do I need to accept? Um, maybe somebody comes to mind, but if, if not, take this home and work through it and ask God for the grace to accept people the way that you've been accepted by God. Now, here's the next way to love, the way that Jesus loves you. Number three, and man, I wish I could talk about this one for about two hours. Um, You must value others in the same way that Jesus values you. You need to value each other the same way that Jesus values you. Let me ask you this, and this is a really practical question. How can you tell that somebody values you? And here's, here's one way. They notice you. They listen to you. In fact, attention is so valuable. We don't just give attention. We what? We pay attention because it costs us something. My wife, Chris, has been out of town um, for a number of days, and so we have been talking to each other on FaceTime. Anybody use FaceTime? Isn't that a great technology? I mean, it's a little scary early in the morning, but uh, it's, it's really cool because you get to see the other person's face, right? You get to look into their eyes, and, and seeing somebody's face helps you to connect and communicate love. Now, did you know this, that FaceTime was God's idea? Really, it's true. It's, it's in the book of Numbers. I'm not making this up. It's actually in the Bible. You can check it out. It's in number six. Some of you know the, the words that God gave to the, um, the priest to bless the Israelites. He was very specific. He says, Moses, you tell Aaron the priest to use these words to bless my people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now, think about it. What does that symbolize, that God would turn his face toward his people? I'm giving you my full and undivided attention right now. What does that say to somebody? You matter to me. You're valuable to me. And what's this deal about God's face shining? Have you ever looked at two people in love? You ever see their faces? What do they do? They shine. And so that that idea that God's face is shining is a reflection of his delight in his people, his his love for you, that you're so valuable to him. And, and here's the simple truth. Love pays attention. Love notices, love remembers. And when you experience that kind of love, you feel really valuable. Um, when you remember somebody's birthday, when you remember um, your anniversary, when you remember how somebody likes their coffee or what their favorite dessert is, you're communicating love because you're noticing, you're paying attention. And listen, God pays attention to you. He really pays close attention to you. There's a verse in the Bible that says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. That's pretty 
radical, isn't it, in terms of paying attention? God knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows the original color of the hairs on your head. He knows when hairs fall out. Doesn't promise to replace them, but he notices that they fall out. And here's the thing. If you're going to live in love, you have to notice other people the way that God notices you. And I'll tell you what. I have been thinking about that all week long thinking about how sometimes I'm just so focused on a goal or something that I walk right past people and I don't notice. I don't look at their eyes or their face. And with that in mind, I have a, uh, a probing question for married men. Are you guys ready? Okay. Um, has this ever happened to you? Your wife decides that she's going to change her appearance in some way. You know, she does something with her hair or she gets a new outfit. And so she is standing right there, and yet you fail to notice immediately. Or maybe it takes a little bit of time, and she's waiting for you to say something. Has that ever, am I the only one? I know I'm not, okay? Hey, we're going to form a support group after the service this morning because <laughs> we're going to need one. But you know, God just, he was just talking to me this week, and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to notice Chris. You need to look at her eyes. You need to know when she's happy and when she's sad. And when you notice, then you need to talk and you need to listen and you need to pray. And I thought, you know, one of our objectives with this 40-day adventure was to strengthen our relationships. And I think that's one thing that will really strengthen our relationships if we just notice each other. And if you're married, if you want to really jumpstart your marriage, think about what would happen if you and your spouse really started noticing each other and listening to each other and praying with each other. And, and, and here's something else, and this is for everybody, um, regardless of your marital status, is this idea. When you pray, why should God listen to you? I mean, he's got a, a universe to run. Excuse me. <laughs> this one person on this little planet is asking for my attention. Did you know God turns his attention to you and his attention is undivided when you pray? God is ready to listen to you. You know why? Because you're a child of God. Because through faith in Christ, you've been adopted into God's family and he wants to listen to you because he loves you and you're valuable to him. And here's something else. And this is, again, this topic is so, so deep and so profound. But I know that a lot of people struggle with anxiety and we worry about all kinds of stuff. Do you know what the antidote to anxiety is knowing how valuable you are to God. Now, where did I get that from? From Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. He says, hey, don't worry about all this stuff. And then he goes, hey, let me give you an example. See those birds over there? Those birds don't look worried, do they? Why? Because their father provides everything they need to accomplish his purpose for their little bird life. And the comparison is so profound. He said, hey, don't you realize that you are more valuable than those birds? Okay, Jesus, I get that. I'm glad to hear that I'm more valuable than a bird. But how valuable am I really? And God gives us this compelling answer. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 1. How valuable am I to God? Well, here's the answer. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's how valuable you are. So look at this statement. This week, I will value 
And whose name goes in that line? God values you. So who are you going to value in the same way? Now here's another way that we can love others the way that Jesus loves us. It's number four. You must sacrifice for others in the same way that Jesus sacrificed for you. It involves a sacrifice. And see, that's just a principle of Scripture that love always requires a sacrifice. If you're a parent this morning, a mom or a dad, you know that, don't you? Yeah, in so many ways, love always requires a sacrifice. If you've uh, been involved in the military, you know that principle, don't you? That love involves a sacrifice. No one's left behind. Well, not leaving them behind involves a serious sacrifice. And Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, says, listen, I want you to get this, that following me means not just loving me, it means loving the other people who are following me, and doing that involves a sacrifice for them. How many of you know John 3.16? At least you know the reference or you've heard the verse. Just raise your hand, I'm curious. Okay, almost everybody has probably heard John 3.16. Even if you watch a football game, you'll see it in the end zone, right? John 3.16, go look it up. What about this? How many of you know what 1 John 3.16 says? Well, I'm gonna show you. Because it's connected to John 3.16, and it says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, and here's the implication. So we also ought to give up our lives for who? Our brothers and sisters. And in the first century, as as Christianity begins to really um, impact culture and civilization, Christians are really encountering a lot of resistance and persecution, and the first century Christians understood, hey, if we're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna cost us something. And Christians gave up their lives for each other to rescue other Christians, to protect other Christians. Here's the thing, that's happening around the world today. And often we don't hear that, we don't see that. I've had the privilege of traveling to different places, to Central America, South America, Africa, to Haiti, to um, different, different places where Christians face persecution, and I have spent hours in airports traveling with staff members of Voice of the Martyrs and hearing stories from Iraq and Iran and India and all these different places from North Korea. And here's the thing. Christians right now are laying down their lives for each other. You know why? Because they love each other. And love always requires a sacrifice. And I I think, you know, sometimes we, we look at that and we go, wow, that's amazing. I wonder if I would be able to do that if God called me to do that. But here's what I want you to see. God is calling you to do that. Just in a different way, probably. Because there are daily sacrifices that we make when we love each other. And those sacrifices add up over time. You know, for example, when you take out the garbage, when you vacuum the living room, when you load the dishwasher, and it's not your turn. That's sacrifice. Um, You know, you may be a teenager and you want to go out with your friends and mom or dad comes to you and says, but you need to watch your little brother. (laughs) I don't want to watch my little brother, but I will because love requires a what? Sacrifice. Here's a great story about that. Um, It's about a couple who brought their first baby home from the hospital. And the wife suggested to her husband that he should try his hand at changing diapers because he'd never done it before. And he said, "Uh, okay, I'm busy. I'll do the next one. So the next time the baby needed to be changed, she asked if he was ready to learn how to change diapers, and he gave her this puzzled look, and he said, well, when I said the next one, I wasn't talking about the next diaper, I was talking about the next baby. (laughs) Listen, if that's part of your home life, do not walk on by, okay? Change the diaper, why? Because it's a way to demonstrate love by making a small 
sacrifice. Now for you it may be a huge sacrifice, but make the sacrifice. Because here's the thing, when we actually take these, these principles of scripture and put them into practice, it really does change our relationships. And when you're willing to set aside your preferences and your selfishness and your pride and ask this question, hey, what could I do for you today that would make your life a little bit easier? That's what a sacrifice is all about. And those kinds of sacrifices impact our relationships and communicate love. So again, how would you complete this statement on your outline? This week, I will make a sacrifice for. Who is that person? Well, church, here's the final way to love others the way that Jesus loves you. Number five, you must forgive others in the same way that Jesus forgives you. Forgive others in the same way that Jesus forgives you. Now, imagine getting a letter in the mail, or maybe it's an email that you get, and it says this, dear, and you can fill in the blank, dear Mr. Smith, um, due to the recent action of an extremely generous benefactor, your mortgage loan, car loan, student loan, and all of your credit card balances have been paid in full, effective immediately. Should you wish to contact this benefactor, we can provide information on request. Sincerely, Mr. You are so lucky, Vice President of Finance. What would you do if you got a letter like that? I'm serious. What would you do if you actually got a letter that said all of your debt was paid? If you're somebody who has debt, what would you do? Sing. <laughs> Faint, okay. Have a party. You would rejoice. Remember the, the opening quote in the service this morning from that American pastor? That, that when we really understand that the gospel is true, we should come together as people who have just won the Irish sweepstakes? See, that's the truth. God wants us to rejoice in his forgiveness all the time. I was thinking about this. When, when Jesus is, is dying, he makes this very dramatic statement, and it's translated often in the Bible, it is finished. It could also be translated, it is paid. Because the word that he uses is actually a commercial banking term that means paid in full. And that means if you're a Christian, your moral debt before a holy God is paid in full. When God looks at you, it's as if you had never, ever sinned. And when you think about that, not just, you know, once a month, when you think about that all the time, I, God, I can't believe how much you love me, that you would just settle my past. I, I just can't get over it. When you live remembering that, when somebody wrongs you, offends you, hurts you, you're in the posture already to extend grace to them because you're living in God's grace. And so that's why the Bible says this. This is from Colossians chapter three. You must make allowances for each other's faults. How many of you have any faults? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, that, there's my point right there. <laughs> your fault is you won't admit it or you don't know it. We all have faults. So we have to make allowance for each other's faults and do this, forgive the person who offends you. How many of you have ever been offended? How many of you have ever offended somebody? We're all in the same leaky boat, right? And here's the thing, remember. Now, when the Bible says remember, you know what it means? You know what the Greek word means? Remember. <laughs> Call it to mind over and over. Remember all the time the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It's a new way of life. Now, I'm going to spend an entire message on forgiveness in a couple of weeks because that's a big topic. But for right now, just complete the statement. This week, I will forgive and we're going to talk about how to work through that. But what person in your life really needs your forgiveness? Now, church family, I want to share a story with you right now that I first heard from um, Pastor Steve Brown, um, one of my uh, teachers when I was um, going to school to be a pastor. And it's a really powerful story, but it's about a pastor 
Um, his name is Fred Craddock, and uh, Fred um, was a pastor in Tennessee, and one time he was on vacation with his wife, and they were eating in this little diner. And while they're sitting at the table, this older man comes in and just starts talking to them, asking them, you know, hey, are you on vacation? And Fred goes, yeah. And the, uh, the man says, so, sir, what do you do for a living? And Fred says, I'm a, I'm a preacher. And this older gentleman says, well, would it be okay if I sat down and told you a really great preacher story? Of course, Fred says, sure. So the guy sits down, and the first thing he says is this, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my dad was. Um, it was really hard growing up. The, the kids in the neighborhood would make fun of me. I didn't have any friends. I would walk down the street, and people would look at me and say, I wonder who his daddy is. And he said, growing up, I was really, really lonely. And he went on and, and shared, you know, when I was a kid, there was this preacher who came to our town. It wasn't a very big town, so everybody knew when there was a new preacher in town. And they were saying, man, this guy's good. You got to go hear this new preacher. And, and so the older man said, and so I did. And, and I'd never been to church before, but I went that first Sunday, and man, I just kept coming back because I really liked listening to what this preacher was saying. But here's what I would do. I would go late and leave early so I didn't have to talk to anybody. He said, but one Sunday, this preacher was, was really preaching. And I got caught up in what he was saying, and I forgot to leave early. And the service was over, and everybody stood up. I couldn't get out the door. And so I'm trying to make my way over, and I feel this big hand on my shoulder, and I turn around, and you know who it was? The preacher. And he looked at me and said, what's your name, son? Who's your daddy? And the old man said, man, when I heard those words, I just started shaking. And then the pastor said, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I think I know who you are. I see a very strong family resemblance. You are a child of God. And the old man said, those words changed my life. And they finished the conversation, and the man left the restaurant, and the waitress came over to Fred Craddock and said, hey, do you know who you were just talking to? He said, I don't have any idea. This guy just kind of wandered in. She said, that's Ben Hooper, the two-time governor of Tennessee. When you discover that through faith in Christ, you're a child of God, it changes everything, doesn't it? When you realize I am valuable to the God of this universe, so valuable that he would send his son to die for me. And church, this morning, I, I don't know all the things you've been through. I don't know all the scars and all the wounds on your heart, but God does. And God cares. And God loves you. God loves you like nobody else. And listen, if you ever doubt that, then you look back at the cross and you remember how much you matter to God. Church family, I have been um, studying this book and teaching from this book for a lot of years. I've been walking with Jesus for a lot of years. And I will tell you this, there are so many things I don't understand. And so many things I don't know. But I do know this. I know that God loves me. And I know that God loves you. And that's a starting point for us learning how to really love each other. And so my prayer for all of us during this 40-day adventure is that God would help us to understand with our heads and with our hearts and with our hands what it means to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. And I want to do this. I want to share some words from God's book because these words come from God's heart to your heart. And I hope that hearing 
how valuable you are to God right now will cause you to rejoice and be thankful. These words are from Isaiah chapter 43, where God says to you and to me, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, you will not be overwhelmed. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And you are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those, those powerful words, God. I pray you'd help us to really believe them that we are precious in your sight, that we are honored by you, God, that, that we are loved. And I pray this, Father, that as we allow that love to, to flood into our hearts, that you will give us the love we need for each other. And Lord, please do this. In these next moments, as we celebrate the love that Jesus has for us, God, please encourage us. Help us to really rejoice. And God, I pray this too, that if there's somebody here this morning who's never made the decision to follow Jesus. I pray that this would be the day that changes everything for them. And I pray it in his name. Amen. Hey, church, let me share these verses um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, written by the Apostle Paul, the follower of Jesus back in the first century. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let me just stop for a moment. That's why we're here, to remember, to remember the love that Jesus has for us. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you remember the Lord's death and sacrifice until he comes again. And then these words, therefore, Whoever eats their bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You ought to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul adds those words so that we will do this, so that we will stop and say, you know what, I need to take a look at my heart and ask myself this question, have I decided to follow Jesus? And listen, if your answer to that is yes, I'm so glad that you're a follower of Christ. If your answer is, well, no, or I don't know, today could be the day that everything changes for you because there is a standing invitation to come to this table. But to come, you have to surrender your life to Christ and decide to follow him. And so it's, it's the question, do I really understand who Jesus is and what he came to do? Because this story that we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, starts from, with some really bad news. And the bad news, um, just very simply, is that we don't love people and we don't love God the way that he commanded us to, the way he made us to. And we know that. And the Bible calls it sin. And our sin separates us from a God who is perfect and holy. And this God who is perfect and holy is also just. And so he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is to die and to be separated from him forever. That's the bad news. And you know that bad news is really even worse when you realize, I can't change that. I can't rescue myself. I can't earn God's acceptance. I don't deserve God's acceptance. And so what God does is he makes a way for our relationship to be restored. And that's what the gospel is all about. 
For God so loved the world. Put your name in there. For God so loved me that he gave his one and only son, that Jesus would, would leave his home and glory and step out across the stars and, and come to our world and live perfectly so that he would be qualified to be our substitute. And that's what happens on the cross. You realize Jesus dies in our place. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus, punish Jesus instead of us, and Jesus pays the debt. It is finished. It is paid. And then he dies, and then he comes back to life, and he says, hey, you know what? I want you to follow me. I want you to step into this life where you know that you are loved, where you can have a church family, where you are loved and accepted and you feel valuable. Jesus invites us, hey, come. Come follow me and come be a part of my church because we're going to change the world. And Christian, that's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you into his family and we are on a mission to change the world and part of that is inviting others in to the fellowship that we know. So with that in mind, would you pray with me this morning? God, whoa, we are so, so grateful. God, so blown away by the love that, that you have for us. Father, I pray for the person who maybe for the first time is understanding, you know, I, I haven't decided to follow Jesus, but I want to because I need a new life. Listen, if that's you right now with all of our heads bowed, you can just tell God in your own words, hey, God, I'm sorry for my failure and sin. Please forgive me. Um, God, I know, I know the truth now that Jesus died because he loves me. He died to pay for my sins, and I just want to accept that. And I believe that he really did come back to life. I believe that Easter is true. God, I just don't understand a lot, but I... I really believe you love me and I want to follow Jesus. God, whenever somebody says that to you, you run to rescue them. And I know that because you ran to rescue me, God, when I said that. And Father, today, um, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if there's anything in our heart, God, that's a barrier to our relationship with you or a barrier to our relationships with each other, God, please help us. Help us to see it, God. Help us to turn away from it. And God, even in this moment, I'm just going to stop talking so that you can speak. Show us anything that we need to confess, God, and help us to confess it right now. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness and the freedom that it brings. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would help us to be aware of your presence in this place. God, I pray that you'd flood this room with your peace. Help us to know your power, because we need your power to love each other the way that you love us. And Father, we ask this. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, but we ask it also because we know that we matter to you and that you love us. So please hear us now. In Jesus' name, amen.